Bigger Talks, Bigger Talks. Welcome back. We have another episode, and this one is going to be a really good one because it's about the homeboy way, but it's more about the CEO of Homeboy Industries, Tom Bozo. TV, he don't know I just gave him that nickname, but Tom Bozo is in the building. He's the CEO of Homeboy Industry. He's a philanthropist. He's a business guy. He's very intelligent, very spiritual, come to find out. And um, he's going to share the homeboy way, his life, what he's been through, and what is it like to be where he's at today in his livelihood. So, Tom, welcome to the Bigger Talks uh, podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you, Eric. Good to be here. Yes, 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 yes. How's your day? How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. I got up in my morning exercise, and now I'm ready to kind of put my brain to work. Yes. So to the to the people listening, because, you know, I think what happens in the world, it's easy to just go type a person's name in Google with the bio or the stats are like, who is Tom and where do you come from and how did you get into becoming who you are today? It gives a quick synopsis and we can get into the details of it. Yeah, so um, there's, there's a lot behind all that, like everybody's story. But for me, you know, I, I view myself as a, uh, as a committed, I still am a committed capitalist. Of 26 years, I worked in the for-profit sector of our economy. You know, I ran a $1.8 billion set of businesses, lots of employees, or, you know, public company, private company went public again. I understand what Wall Street's about. But then I sort of saw something lacking in what was really motivating me to keep going. And now I have this second chapter of my life, of my career. And now I'm running a nonprofit organization, Homeboy Industries. We help former felons and gang members change their life around. And I've been doing that for 10 years, and I have learned so much more being a homeboy than all my other years combined. And it's for me, it's very interesting to contrast the two. So when you ask me what I am, I, sometimes I think of myself as a corporate executive, but other times I think of myself as a, as a guy who's sort of in the community of people looking to change their life forward, which has helped me understand my own spiritual journey as well. And, and, it's, and it's, it's beautiful that you put it that way because, you know, the 26 years of business experience, you know, because you get people who want to be entrepreneurs and say, oh, yeah, I just want to jump in. And it's like, oh, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes, you know, volume and experience. But for you, because we know we live in a world where everything is the material realm, the, the material currency and be successful in business. Who was your inspiration uh, to be in business the way you are, to have big businesses? And what did your relationship start with entrepreneurship or being successful? Or did you have someone who you looked up to as a child? Yeah, look, I grew, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, my brothers and I were essentially first-generation college graduates. My, my uh, parents did not go to college. They worked two jobs to get us into college. And, uh, I, and I, you know, I realized I wanted to do well because my, I knew my parents were borrowing money to get me there. And, and so, but I had this natural affinity. I understand I had natural affinity for businesses. And yeah, yeah, a little bit motivates me. I say it and it may come out bad, but I just hated being poor. I didn't, I hated no, not having like, money hey, to do you things. You love money. Yeah. yeah. Like you wanted money. That's, so, no, we love that. It's just, I just wanted to kind of go forward. And so I'm like the type of guy who like, give me the rules of the game. I'm going to work really hard within those rules to succeed. And so I, you know, I came out of graduate school. I started at, you know, entry level in a, in a business. And I just kind of went up the corporate ladder and eventually, as I said, you know, ran a business with 18,000 employees and, and, you know, really, you know, live that life of a corporate executive, you know, it's private jets, Wall Street meetings, all the, all that stuff, right? Um, so that's what motivated me to be, because I love business. I think, what, listen, I want to be very clear. 
well-run companies are good for our society. Mm, right? Say that uh, again, please. Oh, say that again. Yeah, and, and sometimes it doesn't get enough credit, but like there are a lot of well-run companies out there. Well-run companies are good for our society because in my mind, what's the hallmark of a well-run company? Three things, three clear things. One is that it competes effectively in the marketplace. It does well for its shareholders. Secondly, it has products and services that people want to spend money on. You're not forcing people to buy from you, but if you have a good enough product, they'll buy from you, right? The third is, very importantly, it's a great place to work for its employees, that they, their life dreams can come true. And so a well-run company has those three things in balance in that it creates quality jobs where people can move their life forward. Now, at the businesses I was at, we had a lot of first-generation Americans as frontline employees. And so they worked really hard and they, just like my folks did, and they, they worked hard to get their kids to go to the next generation to go to college. And that's for sort of the aspect of a well-run company. What's good for our society is that it creates jobs, it creates a structure, and, and, and it's in a much better environment all around. And it works, right? Like if it works, it works because you believe it works. But you said a few things that uh, I took heed to is that one, you said when you were young, you didn't like being poor. Okay, that's one. That stood out. Then you said it wasn't that you valued money, you wanted money, you just had a better relationship with money because you love business. So to people listening, you know, when you have a better relationship with things, usually that relationship with you is better, right? <laughs> so because right, of your, right, right. Your, your, your technique or your gift in business, you were able to scale and do numbers and be well, but also provide opportunities. That's what people forget about creating a product that can have 18,000 employees and people are well taken care of. So I just like to like harp on those things because I think there is a misconception in the public. Uh, about big businesses, about, you know, money and these things. And it's not what people think it is. You know, that connotation sometimes is bad because then people create this ideology that's false about people who are in a C-suite, right? Who are owners, who have money they work for, it, but also because their intentions and attitude about it is different. And so I'm glad that you said that and you shared that with the audience yeah. because people need to know no, that's right. better. And I, and, right, and I appreciate you kind of like uh, echoing that and, and putting positive to efforts behind it, because I really do believe well-run business are good for our society. But in this last chapter, next, this chapter of my career, I've kind of like, looking back, I, there was something that always still bothered me about, even my corporate job, in that, well, I try to say everything is in balance, but uh, there are also sometimes when push comes to shove, shareholder wins out over employee. Mm. And that sort of, I think, is a fatal flaw of That's our good. U.S. capitalist That's system. Good. And so I've been trying to, so back in the 2008, you're, you're young, but 2008 was a great recession, right? Not because of a pandemic, just because the economy imploded. And it, it, I had this sort of seminal moment for me, whereas I was running my businesses, we were in that first year of the recession, we were still going to make a lot of money. And the chairman of the corporation called me up and said, Tom, you need to get back to the original plan because we committed to Wall Street, what profit numbers we're going to deliver. And I was you know, within 5% of that number. And he said, nope, not good enough. And I knew to do another round of layoffs, I'm now laying off people who dedicated their life to the company. People probably couldn't get another job anywhere else. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm doing this because, well, I know once the recession's over, I'm going to need those people back. So I'm affecting these people live just so we can brag to Wall Street that we are the best at financial acumen and delivering the results. And I also know that 5% missed, it wasn't going to have a hill of beans difference to our long-term valuation. So I'm thinking, oh, when push comes to shove, employees got put second. And so 
from there, I said to my, something in my brain said, look, there's got to be a better way where you can balance off employees as equally as shareholders and move this forward. And quickly fast forward, through, lo and behold, I'm, I show up at Homeboy Industry. I can tell you how I got there in a bit, but I show up at Homeboy Industries and here's, I'm sitting there in the Homegirl Cafe for the first time having lunch and, and with, a, with a friend of mine. And I already left my corporate life behind. And I'm having lunch and I'm realizing here's a group of employees that are working hard, enjoying themselves. And I'm realizing back in my old world, I would have never hire them because, you know, not only do they have felonies, but they have tattoos on their face. <laughs> I mean, just, they just don't fit the profile of what we yeah. would have hired. And yet here is this workforce doing pretty well. And so when, I, when they asked me to get them out of the homeboy, I realized, well, wait a minute, maybe in the context of a job, Here's a homeboy helping people dramatically change their life for us. And maybe that's the way of actually having employees be more important than actually the business results of the company. And lo and behold, I joined Homeboy and it turned out to be totally true. And that yeah. here we have in the Homeboy approach is that it's about people first, right? And I'm telling you, I've, we run six social enterprise businesses. They are as effective and as good a workforce as anywhere else. Uh, and it, the only difference is that we... Homeboy gave them a chance and helped them heal from their trauma of incarceration and of their earlier life and move them forward. So there's a lot to be learned to Homeboy, but it's, I just want to say uh, all why I wrote the book and why I'm sure to talk to a lot of folks is that our business community can do better and should do better and change a little bit their attitude and still be able to perform in the marketplace. Yeah, because it's the thing in the world is that we go off what something looks like or what we think it should be and then realize it doesn't feel the way it looks, right? Like you can have the nice mm -hmm. things, you can have the money, you can have the nice body, but if you don't feel the way it looks, it's like, what is it all for? In my experience in life, it's great to have success, but what does it mean if I can't share with the people I love and care about or pass the baton, right? Share the information, share my experiences, write books, right? Like the homeboy way, a radical approach to business and life. This is a great book for someone to get a deeper perspective what someone like you as a CEO, as a business and entrepreneur, went from to who you are now. And I think it changes the perspective of how you develop and how you got there. So let's talk about when did you come into Homeboys and how did that connection happen? Yeah, so a friend of mine, it was about 10 years ago, um, a friend of mine, uh, serve on, I serve on the board of the Salvation Army of Los Angeles, a fellow board member there is also on the board of Homeboy. And he invited me to lunch at the Homegirl Cafe. And I will say, here's Homegirl Cafe. It's a Zagat-rated cafe. There's only um, seven other restaurants in downtown Los Angeles with as high as a rating. And it's fully run by former gang members and people with felonies. So it's it's that's so I just want to say that on its own just stands like we deliver a good product and, and it's a good workforce. So I'm having lunch with my friend. And uh, at that time, Homeboy, you know, it's a nonprofit organization. It was going through a financial crunch. Um, and Father Greg Boyle, the founder, was out on the road speaking quite a bit on behalf of the organization, uh, raising awareness. And yet the board thought that they, you know, they saw a crunch coming and they, and there was a consultant in place and the consultant said, hey, you know, Tom's having lunch over here. Why don't you, why don't you see if we can get Tom involved? And so the board member asked me to get involved as a board member, but, you know, I had done enough board work. I just, I, something behind thought about like, look, I got all these business skills. Is there a way of using business skills to help people who are struggling? And so values of the organization met up. I started as a volunteer helping the businesses, the social enterprise businesses 
yeah, get a little better. A couple months later, Father Greg asked me to be CEO. Never thought I would be in charge of anything again. I didn't want to work full time again, uh, but yet I couldn't pass up the opportunity to be in the orbit of Father Greg. Uh, he's amazing, living saint. He's it's pretty amazing, sort of how he has lived his life very authentically, and he puts everything in front of shining a light on the goodness of everybody. So I said, yes, I'll do this for a little bit of time. And um, look, I, I had all the hubris of a corporate CEO thinking, ah, look, I can do this for six months or a year. I'll come in, fix things up and move off and do something different. Right. And here I am 10 years later, just loving what I do and, yeah. and feeling like this has been so powerful for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what your religion or your beliefs are, but, you know, to me, you know, God, the universe, the creator, feel like gave you this gift of business right to know how to run business to scale business to be successful but that was the bait to do what you're doing today which is your more purposeful mm -hmm. meaningful life and so you said two things the first one was when you were at a company uh 2008 uh there was an opportunity where i guess you go public and with the shareholders and we're laying people off or we can impress you know wall street or whatever and so that was a moment in your life and then you said i had all these business skills how can i put these to use so I want to know personally, in those moments, like where did that inclination, that epiphany or that thought come from? Was it where your spiritual journey started or have you always been spiritual? Did, did your wife tell you? Like, how did that even come to mind to even think that way? Or you just was, you woke up one day and like, I want to do this. Because those are profound moments that were turning points in who you are and in your career. I think those are phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's a couple of ways I want to uh, answer that question. <clears throat> First is, um, look, in, in retrospect, I see how it all got pieced together. But at the time, it wasn't so so obvious, right? And so, listen, I left my corporate world behind. I had this yearning to think, how can business be done differently? I always admired family-run businesses because they're multi-generational. They keep they think about the longer term. Um, but then part of me, you know, so look, growing up, uh, I grew up Catholic, um, uh, you know, so, but I said very light in my spirituality and understanding, you know, I wasn't a Bible reader. It wasn't any of those things. Uh, and yet, it, obviously, you want, I invite all listeners to come visit us at Homeboy. You, you walk through the doors, you feel a vibe, you feel an energy. It's pretty great. And so even at that first day at that Homegirl Cafe, you can feel that energy and you feel like saying, Oh, let me, I want to get involved and see what this is about. And so I would, I would come there the first several, obviously weeks and months. And, you know, we, we start each day with a, with a morning meeting where there's a thought of the day and announcements and all. And, and while homeboy is not a religious organization, we're a nonprofit, but we're, as father Greg would say, we're soaked in spirituality. And then when I started seeing our homies, our clients talk about how they've transformed their life and they found their own spiritualness i started thinking well geez if they can find it well maybe i should dig a little bit deeper and start trying to lean in as well okay. and for listen to listen to the, the other thing i want to say here's a guy a guy 26 years in the corporate world give me the rules i'm gonna live by the rules so you know like you know you get all this hr training you kind of get like you get everything drummed out of you You know you can't hug people you got to worry about what you say to people and, and you know all those things and you never talk about God or religion in the business setting. I mean, you can, I mean, you can almost push the boundary and talk about anything else. But once you start like bringing in your own religion, then it's like, whoa, yeah. stay clear. And so then I contrast that to like, 
it is so deep at Homeboy about how people talk about their own. It's not the same religion we're talking about. It's, it's their God, the way they want to pray. And they talk about what they found their spiritual journeys. Started me saying, cheering inside, saying, yes, this is what it should be about. People should feel free yeah. to express themselves. And so that sort of, it's actually not obviously Father Greg is sort of has sort of terrific wisdom, but it's, but it, as equally as, as the clients who are changing our life, because listen, they've all been victims of conflict, trauma, horrific trauma. They join a gang to think it's going to be their family, false narrative. They go into prison, they come out of prison, they're tired of their life, right? And they really change their life around once they learn to start loving themselves. Yeah. And they can only start learning to love themselves once they learn that God loves them. Mm, and you put those two things together. Yeah. That's how they move it forward. And so to me, just this, it's so, so I can say that so clearly now, but it's like early on, I just, I can see myself witnessing it again, but not really kind of connecting at all until, until time goes by. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful said because in order for, I always say in order to be, in order to be free, I must be me. And I think at Homeboy Industries, I don't think I know people feel more free that they can be themselves and they're not judged and they're not criticized for their past mistakes or their felonies. And it's like, come here, we're going to we're gonna welcome you with open arms, we're going to give you agape love, unconditional love, and we're going we're gonna to bring you in. And I think when people feel accepted by people they don't know, but they feel compelled to move, they feel free. So it's just a beautiful yeah. thing. No, you're that's right on. Home, yeah. You know, don't have yeah. homeboy. Yeah, I mean, right on. And that's, the, and that's the thing we all grew up learning, right? Mm -hmm. But it's hard to implement. And, but you walk through the doors of homeboy, and it's like you see it right there. Yeah. And you see it right in front of you. That, that's that's a, what makes it so that's special. That's a great statement. Why do you think we all grew up learning, but why do you think it's hard to implement? Like, what, is, what do you think causes that that second part to execute and implement or apply what we know, what we've been through? Well, I think in some ways it, it, it's to it's the the business culture sort of drums that out. That it's we're worried about. Um, uh, how do I say it? We're worried in the business world, worried about being fair and equal to everybody. And so you don't want to sort of lean on one religion versus another. But I think what's so interesting about it, a homeboy, it's like we're fair and equal and equitable to everybody. And yet everybody has, feel, is, has the freedom to express it the way they want to express it. Yeah. And so it kind of, it's the oddest thing that it, it actually works when you actually become freer and we're willing to talk, talk about your faith yeah. versus trying to squash it <laughs> in a certain environment. And that's good, you know, because everybody deserves to be heard, felt and seen. And when you have a space and a, a place like Homeboy Industry where you can do that, you know, I think people listen want to know, like, I was, uh, uh, we want to say a, a great thanks to Melanie. I was telling her, I said, do they have a homeboy in like every city? That would be pretty awesome. Right. In Baltimore from Baltimore. I think yeah. we, we need a homeboy industries in Baltimore. Yeah. It's tough out there. It's challenging. Philadelphia. We spoke on that. So my question is, you know, we got the book, the homeboy way. First of all, homeboy industries, where did the title, the name of the company come from? Uh, you know, you said Dr. Greg, right? It's the founder? Uh, Father, Father Greg Boyer. Father Greg. Yeah. yeah, Father yeah. Greg. Jesuit, yeah, let me give you a quick thing on the founding. So uh, Father Greg Boyle, Jesuit priest, uh, yeah, his first uh, station as a parish priest was in uh, early 1990s, in, actually late 80s, at Dolores Mission, which is the poorest parish in the whole archdiocese of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. 
happened to be the uh, epicenter of gang violence. And clearly LA in the eight, late eighties, nineties was the epicenter of the country for gang violence. You know, there's over 200 different gangs in the county of Los Angeles, over 200,000 gang members in the county of Los Angeles. And so as Greg was a parish priest, walking the streets, seeing these young men die and go, go into gangs and gang crime. And um, he wanted to come up with something to get them out of gang life. And it, it, he hit upon a simple notion that makes so much sense. If you can get them a job so they can make enough money for food and shelter, they're not gonna go running with the gang for food and shelter, from make money for food and shelter. And so it began as a little bit of a jobs program realizing that's sort of hard. Then it eventually became, we had opened up its first business was a, a bakery. And so they started baking bread, uh, you know, and there's nothing better than having today. You, we have our bakery. It's, it's artisan bakery, handmade. It's nothing better than having rival gang members, rival gang members standing shoulder to shoulder, rolling dough. <laughs> Fundamentally, as Greg says, yeah. you can't, you can't demonize somebody you're in relationship with. And these guys have to make the dough and get a certain amount of bread done in a yeah. day. Absolutely. Right. And that and that breaks down the barriers. Right. And so it's not that we deal with gang members, not gangs. And so so one business led to another. And then someone had the idea of, you know, it was always called Homeboy. Hey, let's call Homeboy Industry. So while it's like a business type of name, we're a human services organization helping 8000 people get out of gang life every year. And so it's uh, now we have seven, six, six or seven social enterprise businesses, which important aspect of our program. But more it's about we do a bunch of reentry services. When people leave the prison system, how to reenter back in society. You know, we have all the all the services of um, we have the case management, mental health services. We take off twelve thousand tattoos a year. We remove wow. tattoos. We have a charter high school. We have anger management classes. A A N A. I mean, all that you have to kind of work on to heal from the trauma, so you can be resilient enough to take on what society throws at you. And so. Uh, businesses are an important aspect in terms of pride structure, someone's day, yeah. but most of the day they're also working on themselves. And I think the, the, the biggest takeaway for me in that, you know, instance which you were speaking was that I think it's not enough to reverse psychology, not reverse psychology, it's kind of like, you know, you hear the thing where you said uh, in corporate America, they wouldn't even allow like religion in or certain things you couldn't do, you couldn't hug people, right? Then there's something when you got code switching, right? When you switch your lingo. And so when you think of homeboy, I'm from Baltimore. But when I came to LA, always people would say, what up, homie? So it's actually mm -hmm. a, a phenomenal way to connect to people who understand the language. And I think most times people don't understand how slang, language, uh, dialect matters in certain cultures and spaces. And it helps, right? Because if yeah. you're not speaking someone's language, why would they listen to you? So I think with Father Greg right. and you guys done for Homeboy Industry and the people that come there, you make them feel comfortable because you're relatable. And I think that's what life is about, relating. Like you've been to the highest of highest in a wealth you know, regime. And it's like, great, but you're coming and dealing with people in a different space, but you're relating to them. So you're finding ways, how can I relate to these people? How can I help? And how can I evolve within this? I know what that other world is like, but when it comes down to it, we're all the same, right? The yeah. challenges no, are no, different, I but the emotions yeah. are the same, right? Motion the same. Let me, let me add, I want to add two things to what you said. You're exactly right. That's why uh, the beauty of our organization, uh, over uh, two thirds of our senior staff are former clients, people lived experience, people who walked in those shoes, people who've been in gangs, people who've been incarcerated, who have transformed their life, moved their life forward, and they have all the expressions. I mean, yeah, I, I sometimes feel like I'm just the, the 
the rube here. <laughs> Things happen in front of me, and like three, uh, three or four of our guys would say, "What just happened?" And I said, "I didn't see any of that. How did that? <laughs> what do you mean by all that?" <laughs> so, so thankfully, we have folks who've been in that lifestyle who've changed their life and are great mentors to get the men and women out. The other thing I want to say is we have um, a global homeboy network where, for many years, organizations have come and visited us. This is pre-pandemic. They come and visited us, and we happily share what we do and take our model, take our approach, but bring it back to your local community. Because just as you said, sort of the, the challenges of the gang issue in Baltimore are different from in LA and different words, different codes, all that stuff. And so it kind of has to grow from within as to having the leaders that understand the local dynamics, but take the homeboy model, which is as simple as love, kinship, and compassion, and apply that in your local community. So now there's 150 organizations around the country and the world who have modeled themselves after homeboy. Well, that's interesting because maybe that just uh, answered my question. So as you were speaking, I, you know, I get epiphanies and things just come up. And I was thinking, like, this guy is so successful at building things and selling them or scaling them. I was like, I want to know if it's possible for Tom and Homeboy Industry to build an entire community in that infrastructure. With You know, just say, like, you know, you have the West Hollywood, you have the Hollywood, you have the Studio City. They have their own community, right? But there's a certain type of people, even in Baltimore. Just imagine mm -hmm. a... a um, you know, like they got Chinatown downtown, this is part of LA or anywhere. And that community is flux with, you know, former felons, with people that come through your doors and you guys train them and you build it up. But it's a community though. Like it's not just homeboy sure. industry. Right? No, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. I, right. right. And then I was, and I was like, I know Tom can do that if he was put to the test. But then I was thinking, I want to know, can someone, uh, not patent, but uh, franchise <laughs> homeboy industries and put them <laughs> like take you guys' IP, your infrastructure, um, your standard of procedure or operations, however you guys pr produce what you guys have, and place that, like you just said, within it has to start and put those in the cities that need it, you know, over America. Maybe you guys can get funding and do that. But my mind is just always working because I know coming from a tough environment what's going on out here and what's happening. And people don't have that infrastructure or that type of structure to go to a place like that. It is the gang. It is some people go to jail at certain times of the year just to eat and have some place to sleep. You got it. It's I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's for sure. I mean, it's heartbreaking. And uh, they go. Some guys go to jail. They take they take the rap for somebody else. I mean, it's just it's just it's just you know. Listen. For the audience here, um, I just want to say a little bit of gang life. You know, I learned, again, I learned this all at Homeboy. I didn't know this going into Homeboy. I was just a typical guy, not really paying attention. Yeah. But look, these men and women, um, who are mostly men in gangs, they don't think they're going to live past 30 years old. So tougher sentences, sentence reform, that's not going to change. That's not going to stop a guy from doing something like pretty violent. I mean, he's in violent because he's been, he is a victim of complex trauma as well. And so what we've seen is, you know, Homeboy's helped a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people through the years. But in this pandemic, you know, that first two years of the pandemic, it was a, all of a sudden this sense of hopelessness was very per pervasive out in our society, which then increased the lack of hopelessness for the folks we serve, you know. And then thereby, that's why there's more violence out there, more crime out there, because there's a sense of uh, hopelessness. And so as a society, we got to get back to getting people hopeful, got to get back to the programs that work. You know, I just want to say that, you know, part of this thing, I'm, as I write this book and talk, I'm really trying to talk to the business community of let's help people. Now, there's only, you know, Homeboy can only help so many people. But I think fundamental of 
theme is think about back to what we were talking about in terms of well-run companies, jobs help people, right? And so yeah. I, I was a guy who wouldn't hire that population where homeboys serving today. I'm saying to businesses, hire that population. The working poor in America have such a hard spot. And I, to me, it's like there's two Americas, the privileged America that most of us live in, and then there's the America of the forgotten and the poor. Poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years. We have to do something different as, as society. And in our society, in, in the way Homeboy does it, they have a proven models of how to help people lift them up from being poor to being into a quality job and moving forward. So I want not only is that you need more Homeboy type programs, but you need corporate America, business America to hire the population once they're ready for a job to move forward. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it, it's just it's so important because there is a big gap. I mean, if you don't know, you don't know, but I've been on all sides, you know, from growing up in Baltimore, having men in my family that were kingpins, you know, being in LA, being on TV and didn't have clients more wealthy. So I'm able to see all facets of life, you got classism, it. perspective, how people think, how people show up, how people pick sides. Like, oh, I'm from the Jewish community. Oh, I'm from a black community. Oh, and it's like everyone justified their side, which I get, but we're all human and we all experience life differently, but it doesn't mean that I can put you down because you don't believe what I believe. We grew up different. And so I was thinking, you said something about complex trauma. Can you elaborate on that? I've never heard that before. That was kind of unique the way you put it. Or maybe that's just something you use to kind of like uh, explain what it is for most people that come through your program. Well, listen, no, no, there's definitely, there's um, a very specific definition of complex trauma. So if any of your listeners are sort of mental health therapists, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll get it wrong. <laughs> but, but essentially, you know, there's like this sort of scoring system, ACEs scoring system where, you know, um, well, let me not, I mean, there's actually a scientific explanation, but the, the in part is they've never had the, these young men and women, mine, grow up without a family structure. They're, they're being, they're abused as young people, whether they're sexually abused or emotionally abused or bullied, they're beaten, mm -hmm. we've told them no good. They're, you know, the parents jump them into the gang, the mother jumps into the gang, they, they, the mother and father say, don't go to school at, in grade five, go stand on the corner and be the lookout for our drug deal. Mm. And then the young, and then the boy has to watch their mother sort of, you know, overdose on drugs along the way, right? And so there's the, those are the traumas that people experience. Like there's stories and stories. And so it's not just some of our folks are victims of that type of trauma. All of our folks are victims of that trauma. But at a very young age, that's what moves them into a into the into the gangs, and then there's this whole different trauma that they, you know, gang, you know, getting jumped into a gang. Well, yeah, I just never had to. That means you're getting kicked and beaten and all that, right? And then they go to prison, they do a crime, they go to prison. There's a whole trauma in the whole judicial system and the whole prison system, and then they kind of come out. So you can see how people come out of prison just mad at the world, right? And yeah. no one's given them a chance. They just want a chance uh, along the way. And so uh, how do you help people who've been victims of trauma? In this case, complex trauma means multiple types of traumas, yeah. instances of trauma, is that you have to help them heal. And, and you heal with positive relationships. And so a lot of what Homeboy is about is building positive relationships, is the, ther is the theories around uh, healing along the way and that's a big aspect of it you know when i first joined homeboy i mean put it simply i was trying to understand what what is up with the population and father greg said to me the difference is him and i and them 
is that we had at least one parent who loved us. Mm. You can almost, you can almost say that's so clear. They didn't have somebody who loved them unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Think about I, that I, as a youth. I, I, I could cry right now because I did suffer as right? a kid. You know, my family was around, but I also felt emotionally abandoned. Abandoned. So yeah, sure. And in, in, in moments, I became the leader of all my friends because I didn't want people, my friends to leave me. Like I felt how my parents did, and they didn't. And my mom was twenty-one. My dad was in the streets. He didn't know better. We wasn't poor, mm-hmm. but there's circumstances. But I say that to say, I had told my manager one day, I said, man, sometimes in life, all you need is one person just to believe in you. That's it, just one person. You got it. You, you get that it. one person, that's enough to keep going because you know that person's on the sideline like, you got it, man, keep going. And I learned that late in life, like, because I was so guarded. Like, no, you can't love me, mom. People didn't love me. And people don't understand mm-hmm. that pain if they haven't experienced it, but I can relate and know like what you just said, we had you say you had one person that loved you unconditionally and that's like that changes everything and it's yeah. it's important that's right and that's what and fundamental about our program is when someone walks through our door for the first time we just go out of our way to say yes and to care for them because that's what they need along the way and it and it takes somebody with sort of a stronger constitution that you, you get yeah. so how do you get how do you how'd you help yourself get through all that right right you know, and it was healing. i'm sure you have your journey yeah and we then reveal, some we healing. Healing, right? yeah therapy right. energy healing books i've read so many yep. books i've meditated but the thing is my anchor was my pain and my you know and anger i was so angry of what was happening around me like you said you didn't want to be poor like we wasn't poor financially but the circumstances people were dying getting killed mm-hmm. murdered you even play yep. basketball you so dope so it was this thing of, I was angry, like, oh, I want better. I don't want to live like this, right? So my, my thing right. was basketball. That was the vehicle. And I always tell parents, yeah. don't allow the sport to use your kid. Let the sport take your kid to a place of prosperity. Because it can be right. And then from there, I did well in school. So basketball was a vehicle to keep me focused, to get me identity. And then school just took me to the next level because I was so curious and educated. I just started reading books and I was like, oh, Tony Robbins or Les Brown, Bob Parker, like who are these big time? You got it. What, sure. do, what do successful people do? And I started studying them, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, thank you, grow rich. As a man thinking, I started becoming what I was studying. Then my life started changing. I started attracting new people and new opportunities. So I always tell people information changes situations, you know, You're right. you know, because right. I always share this quote, you know, there's a, uh, about school because, you know, in America, we put so much emphasis on having a college degree and, you know, and having, you know, which is great. I think you should be educated in the field that you're passionate about and that you love. But they say the A student works for the B student. The C student <laughs> owns the company and the D student owns the land that the company is on. And I always tell people that's a matter of perspective because you do have people who have imposter syndrome, right? Because they don't know better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The world tells us we have to do this and do that to feel like this, but it's actually not true for everybody. So I just think information in general is important. Yeah, I wanted right. to, and, I wanted, and you said you said something and I just want to make so we have a yeah. line at home, boy. Yeah. If you if you don't transform your pain, you transmit it. Ooh. And that's the whole and that's the whole key that you, you transform your pain. Yeah. And, and yeah, definitely did. And everybody all we all have pain, just how we all handle it and move forward, right? So and, I and appreciate that's, you that's, sort of that's framing going up right that into way. My, my 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 few questions I have left before we talk. I want to talk a little bit detail about the book. So uh it's 12, got like 15 minutes, but so the first question is what was your relationship with struggle growing up? It don't have to be long as it could just be like whatever comes to mind. 
You know, that's what's interesting. It's like, I, I feel like I've lived a charm life. Like I hated, like I said, I hated being poor. Yeah. My brothers and I, we went to college, but like I have compared to the population we serve, I had like no big struggles. Got it. I'm like, sorry. I mean, it wasn't, life wasn't easy. You know, we had to work hard yeah. and all that stuff, but um, yeah, I, it, listen, I thought I was, I'm, I was a big advocate, you know, it's like through my hard work, I did well, I was a big advocate of the American dream. Right. And, and, yeah. but yet I come to learn at homeboy that people who are poor have no real shot at, at the American dream, the way I grew up thinking about it. So yeah. there's clearly this different Americas have a different view of the American dream, how to put that forward. But um but yeah, I grew up with a, a loving family that worked hard, told you they took loans, got me to college and kind of kept always being, had that positive reinforcement. Yeah. Uh, you know, life wasn't easy. It was had fallbacks, but it just kind of moved it forward. No, that's great. I mean, I appreciate the transparency because some people, you know, you know, you know, you ask a question and someone just won't give you the answer. Yeah. That sounds good. I'm glad you didn't do that. But thank you. No, no, it just it just. Yeah. Right. What's your uh, definition of pain? Because I know everyone has pain, but everybody sees pain differently. In your mind, yeah, I mean, to me, to, to me, right, to me, it's it's uh, pain. To me, it's more of a sort of a spiritual, conceptual thing, um, yeah. uh, an emotion, and by tie with emotional thing, right? And so the, the the pain is rejection, people rejecting you, not agreeing with, not seeing you, yeah. who you are, uh, and you know, as an older person now, it's easier to kind of be well more balanced at that. But clearly, younger folks, my first, I wish I know now. Mm-hmm. What I know now, which I know back then in my career, right, yeah. uh, along the way, but um, but pain is not being respected as a person. Oh, that's good. I've never heard that. See, you got a new definition, people. Pain is not being respected by a person. That's that's powerful. I, I, I hope we. Can, I know we can pick up some of these gems in this book. <laughs> so, how do <laughs> right. you deal? You personally, how do you deal and overcome hard times or adversity for yourself? Like, what do you? What's your go-to when you're having tough moments in life? Yeah, this, and this is something I've, I've learned through uh, through Homeboy. It's really my spiritual journey, right? And and so seeing how these, you know, to me, these guys come out of prison and they're and they actually have depth of of faith and depth of spiritual um, awakening and awareness, and so pushed me forward. So really, these, for these past several years, I've kind of been on my own spiritual journey within the tradition of the the, the Jesuits and Nation spirituality, and so. Uh, what I've learned is through meditation and through contemplation and through having a spiritual director uh, to kind of to, to humble myself and have be uh, humble before God and ask God for help. And so I don't think I would have ever done that as, in a, as a younger man. And so it's in that meditation side of just. I need help. Uh, tell me, show me the way, something a sign, and you know, and through prayer it gets me there. And it's, listen, let me pause for a second. Even saying this to you now, I feel like, oh my gosh, I've said too much. I'm in the business world, I'm not allowed to say these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is good, man, because people look up to you. People want to be the but, next Tom, and you know, I just think right. what I'm learning, and I'll share some personal stuff in my in my vortex of living and life you know, God has allowed me to see all walks of life from, I know gang members, I know gang leaders, I know people who really committed crimes and I know them all, but I also know highly successful people, people who do numbers, you know, financially wealthy. So when I'm inside these spaces with these people, I'm realizing like, oh, you know, you might have people on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, 
the dark side, I would say the dark side, not that it's not dark on the lighter side, but you know what I mean? That have yeah, more sure, sure, time sure. getting to where they want to go. They can deal with pain and setbacks and adversity and challenges. They're more resilient, right? So they're able yep. to kind of persevere. They're survivors. They're survivors. They have the survival right. instinct, for sure. And then you have people who have the, the business and the wealth, accumulation and things. But when they deal with pain, it's just like, it's so different. I mean, you might think the world is over the way they're responding. So I'm realizing like, mm -hmm. I came up with this concept of spiritual currency and I think everybody needs it and everybody should, you know, get to it at some point. Cause I think that's what we all need. Cause you can have the money, you can have the car, you even can have the job. But even in, when you don't have as much, I feel like on a low end and on in between, or high, only thing I can count on in tough moments all high moments was my spiritual currency, was my faith in God, my belief, meditation, uh, gratitude statements, grounding myself in nature, being thankful for someone to be in, be in my energy to interview on Bigger Talks platform. I always wanted a podcast, always wanted to write books. I've always wanted to do these great things. And I have the ability to do it. I'm thankful. So if things are not going well, I know not to make it like it's the end of the world, but some people who don't have those assets or that understanding, it's a little harder for them. And yeah, well, yeah, exactly right. And, that, and that, so, I, so I say this to my spiritual director and other people say, like, why don't more people understand this? Because sometimes people act like it's the end of the world over like a silly thing that goes wrong. It's like, oh no, people got to be grounded. I know you're asking questions, but I want to ask you a question. Yeah. And because it's interesting. Um, and so you talk about how you've seen guys who you've grown up with, right? Now you see folks on the West side and, and Hollywood yeah. people, right? And I think the middle class and the, and the rich people have a lot of pretexts. I think the poor folks in our society are the most authentic oh, yeah. and generous people I've ever met. Does that work? Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, and, and I, I will say I became a victim of what I thought I should be, right? So mm -hmm. I play all sides in my life, right? Because I had to. I grew up in a city where it's tough, so I know how to maneuver in that. Yeah. I've been on TV. I know the fake Hollywood, like, hey, you know, no one really cares, but mm -hmm. if you're making the money, and then I have wealthy clients where I felt, oh, I have to speak a certain way, or I have to code switch, you know, these things, and then yeah. it's like, no, all you have to do is be your most authentic self, you know, to, to move, even though there's things you have to know and understand and be cordial and professional, but at the end of the day, we all cry, we all go to the bathroom, we all have fears <laughs> right. and doubts. Like I said, the challenges are different, but the emotions are the same. And being your most authentic self is the best self. And I believe that is the homeboy way. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Good. You, got you know, it. because we go, I want to have a, a little like pretty five, seven minutes about the book because you have something there called breaking the rules. And I want to know what does that mean to you when you say break the rules? So I know what it means to me. To me, is that you don't you have to stand on something, right? If my gut and my intuition is telling me not to do something, but I have an authority figure telling me to do something, let's just say a teacher or your mother, what if my mom like, oh, I don't I think you should go to that school, but my spirit is like, I want I need to go to LA. I'm gonna stand on my spirit and say, my intuition say go to LA. So in hindsight, maybe I broke the rules <laughs> of the norm. So what is yeah. breaking the rules? Some people can kind of Yeah, so so yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. And so look, so I, I wrote the book uh, um, really with the thought of, I, I show up a homeboy and uh, look, 26 years, corporate career, very successful, all that stuff. I show up a homeboy and there's so many head turning, head spinning things I'm learning and seeing and being a part of that. It goes against conventional wisdom as to how to help, how we've helped people at homeboy, right? And so I always thought, oh, well, let me write a book that if I ever went back to the for-profit world, what lessons would I take from 
working with gang members that take me back there, right? Leadership lessons. And that's part of the book. The other part of the book is recognizing there's two Americas, is the America of the poor and the, and the forgotten that we just, and society forgets that how to help, how to truly help people who are poor in our society. Then the third aspect of the book is my spiritual journey, how I learned uh, how to take that journey. Because I view myself as just sort of a typical guy, never really thought much about it, but now well, I've learned so much how to help other people learn. And so it, it, throughout the book, there's all these stories of uh, Homeboy, which is that sort of brings every, everything alive, the individual stories. All right, but I end the book by saying there's 55 rules to break. So these are like conventional wisdom mm. things that that we all grow up thinking and we and you learn in business and rules of what you want to call rules of thumb or just sort of just ways people think about stuff. They say, no, we have to not think that way. We need to swim, swim upstream. Don't do the conventional uh, wisdom. So let me, I, okay, let me do one. No, rule number three we should break <laughs> that people think. People think the rule, think you just need to work hard to get ahead. Just got to mm. work hard. And, 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 you know, hear it all the time, right? Let's work harder. Well, for us in society to wag our fingers about somebody who is poor and they've come out of being incarcerated for a number of years and, and you know, they don't know how to work a smartphone or a cell phone, right? And they think, I just work harder at your job. They have so many stresses in their life. They want to work hard, but they have so many other challenges going on. They, they, they're going to get evicted because they can't make their rent payments and all these things. Wagging a finger at somebody work harder is not going to help somebody. So it's like that. That's like, a, like another rule of thumb. Like, like money doesn't help solve money doesn't solve problems. Like people who are wealthy say that all the time, and yeah, money's not going to solve problems. I'm telling you, for the poor in our world, money solves problems. <laughs> so stop thinking like you're going to hold back money, and until someone does what you want them to do, just be generous that people come around and it makes a difference so there's like 55 of so those you're like saying kind of you're really saying like problems. money does solve problems that you people should be more generous and give more of it you're saying yes right money solves people are poor money solves problems that right, right. And, yeah so there's like 55 of those that that's kind great of like, i'm trying to kind of like bust up the way people think yeah and then, you know because you know coming from a you know intense environment like baltimore you know my dad has always told me at least these last few years he would say son you cannot be talking about the world events of like a lot of stuff that's been going on since the pandemic and just in general with divide and disconnect and challenges that we all face. He said, people got to understand is that you, you cannot solve a spiritual problem uh, with, a, with a physical reaction. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah sure. Like, like if some, if you're, if you're using physical, actions or reactions to solve a spiritual it's spiritual it's not physical that the problem is evolved it's something spiritual that you can't see is the energy it's a past life all these things so but i like that you said that money does solve problems and it can help and people just need to give more because you got to circulate it right you can't hoard the money you're gonna hold on to forever and you leave it and now what i mean of course you give it to your kids mm -hmm. and you have more than enough right. but i believe in sharing it and giving it when needed and um why not you know, they tell us how these bank accounts and 401ks. If you need your money, you better use it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one final question, or two final questions I always like to ask is at the end is that for you in this moment, at this time, thank you for sharing all the info and insight and wisdom and gems and just everything, homeboy and your history. I love that. But on another note, 
what's working for you in your life and what is a challenge for you right now? Oh, working for me in my life, uh, I know it sounds cliche and all, but it's true. It's to be in community uh, at Homeboy. It's, it's you know, yeah. Father Greg has sort of this way of saying that uh, what we need to do is, is be willing to move to people who are on the margin of our society and be in relationship with them. It's not about telling them what to do and wagging our finger and fixing their problem and just be in relationship with them. And sounds easy to do. Uh, the hard part is making that first step, but when you do it, it's very fulfilling. And that, that uh, clearly works. I mean, I've had more laughter and tears and joy and this time at Homeboy than my whole life all around. What was the second question? It was, it was uh, what, is your, what is your greatest challenge right now? What is, what is something that might be a challenge for you right now? You know, it's, um, I, listen, we're Homeboy, we're now a $35 million organization. We raised $35 million, spent $35 million. Um, So uh, there's a lot at stake making sure we raise the right amount of money. Because uh, if we don't raise the right amount of money, we have to let people go. And we know... When we let people go, that means they're running back out with the gangs and creating violence, going back in the jail system. So the cost of failure is very high. I mean, I've never been at a job where it's life and death for our population, right? And so it's we all work really hard to make sure things don't go wrong, but sometimes things go wrong. And so uh, the challenge is how to, it's always how we absorb, we, we absorb the pain and the trauma that our folks go through and how do we kind of use that for me, I use that as a motivator to yeah. push forward. That's amazing. And uh, I appreciate you saying that the cost of failure and uh, it's not easy and you guys are working hard. And I also like to say too, to people listening and we'll see this is that sometimes when things don't work out and they are a failure, it's really supposed to happen in a sense where whoever is experiencing it, um, of course we don't want them to, but if they're in a position, it's for the, some type of spiritual growth, I believe, or development. You know, I've experienced sure. things with friends and family, and I'm just like, man, what is this? This keeps happening. It's a pattern for some of us have to go through things and learn things to become what we want. But in a business sense, I, I believe it's different. But I just appreciate you being on a, in the front line, you know, leading a team to victory because I feel like the homeboy way is the way. And you know how to break the right rules <laughs> to stay in business, <laughs> to sustain a great life. So, you know, before we get off here, how can we get this book? Where do we find a book? And how do we stay connected to you and Homeboy Industries? Where can we go? Uh, sure. So the book's on Amazon. So you can you can Google it and get there. But uh, Homeboy Industries, we have a web page and a, a big Facebook uh, following that we, a lot of our folks heal from owning their story. And so oftentimes we put videos up of people telling their stories and, and affirmations about how to move life forward. So it's, it's really terrific for uh, you know, people. People love getting on there and watching those videos and being part of the greater homeboy community. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Tom, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate everything you brought today. And um, this was amazing. Um, the homeboy way, <laughs> break the rules <laughs> and uh, tap in with Homeboy Industries on Facebook. Get the book, The Homeboy Way on Amazon. Uh, are you are you on any social platforms like Twitter? Uh, we, have, Instagram? we have we have Instagram. Yes, yeah, home grant, uh, Instagram and um, and um, LinkedIn and uh, without a doubt Twitter. All right. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, have a phenomenal day. And uh, this was bigger talks. All right, Eric. Thank you. Again. Cheers.